Welcome to Sports Beat Live. We're going to talk some Chiefs with, uh, as our friend Blair would say, the people who know him best. And Sam Mellinger is also here. Um, Herbie's off today, so the uh, the critics are calling this the most anticipated show of the year. Uh, not much new. We usually start with the news. Not a whole lot of news to report this week. Uh, Chris Lamanza is probably the only guy I think who's going to miss this game. You've got Lucas Niang and, and Rashad Fenton, both of who missed last week. They've returned to practice in a limited fashion this week. I could see both those guys going, although their backups played well. I could see the Chiefs holding those guys off for one more week. Um, but the, the news I did want to get to because uh, one of our esteemed columnists wrote about it this week, uh, Tyron Matthew getting the uh, Walter Payton nominee um, for Man of the Year for the Chiefs. Uh, it's an award that is based on, you know, work in the community as well as, you know, your production on the field, but a high emphasis on the former. And, and Vi, you wrote a great column this week because you looked at how what he does off the field is indicative of the person that the Chiefs are getting in the locker room as well. You know, a couple things about Tyron. Uh, as you've noted a few times, Sam McDowell, I, uh, I, I've been kind of taken with him because of his persona and not just the way he engages with us, obviously, but what we've learned about how he is in the locker room and um, and on the field, right? What's what's visible evidence too. And I'm not sure we've ever come across too many players that are more kind of contagious with his influence. And so it really stood out to me to sort of get the sense of we've known all along what he does in the community, but to be able to see how those kind of go together, there's sort of the parallel mechanism. Um, and you know, when Tyron came, I, I didn't know too terribly much about him. I kind of just from a vague standpoint wondered why, why, uh, you know, he seemed to go from team to team a little bit and he, you know, the, the stuff at the end of LSU. So I, I was just kind of curious about him. Didn't really have a grasp of the sort of person he really was. And that started to clear up for me when, when Sam Mellinger went down to new Orleans, uh, before Tyron even played, I think Sam, is that right? And, and, you really dug into his life. And I thought that was a really important piece for us to write and really told me a lot about Tyron. Yeah. He sort of, um, I think you develop, we develop like a little bit of a skepticism sometimes in this job, you know, and, uh, and you hear what people say about him and Spags always talks about that, that he talked to somebody in the building with the Texans and who, who told him he will change your culture the second he walks through the door and you kind of, at least me, uh, right. You know, like that's something that, that, that they're supposed to say, but, um, uh, but you get it once you talk to him, you know, um, he, he is, I think Vahe used the word infectious and, uh, and that's, I mean, you can't be around that guy and not kind of believe that, that, that he's a little bit different and, and different in a good way. He's so selfless. Um, you know, I think that he takes a lot of pride in, um, in helping younger players grow and come up. And, um, you know, sometimes I think he, he talks about uh, wanting all his DBs to get Rolls Royces. Um, you know, that, that's kind of a thing. Like when you, when you sign the big contract, maybe uh, some of those guys buy a Rolls. Um, and, and he really believes that. Like you get the feeling that he wants success for his teammates, specifically the other DBs, for them more than he wants success for himself. Um, just he's a next level kind of leader. He deserves all, all the all the praise he's gotten um, is well deserved. One last thing, just a quick chime in. It's it's we've all uh, uh, 
heard the words of Dayton Moore on various things, but I, I always think about one of his most profound statements is how he wants, um, wants the, anybody new to come to the organization to first be a great teammate and that everything else can kind of take care of itself. And I think Tyron is the greatest embodiment of that that I know. Yep, yep. There's a couple of things that stood out. First of all, a couple of weeks ago, I went to watch Tyron out in the community. He was doing his annual turkey drive. We get emails a lot about uh, player events, and a lot of them the players don't go to, but it's their foundation representatives. They're out there doing the work. Tyron's out there himself, and I think that's a big difference is he's not just devoting you know, his foundation's money to this. He's donating his own time. And the very first person that came through this line, and they, you know, it used to be a, you know, a face-to-face thing. And because of COVID last year, Tyron wasn't able to go. And then this year, it's just a car drive-through. But the very first person took two minutes to get through the line because Tyron sat there and talked to, talked to her. And I mean, she acted like you know, she was seeing the biggest star she'd ever seen in her life. And Tyron had all the time in the world for her to where I, I could tell everybody behind him was like, this is going to take three hours if you do this car that gets through the line here. You had a great video of that, Sam, though. That was that, I, I hope people can look it up. because It was really, really telling. And the second thing that really stands out about him, you know, we talk a lot about the fact that the locker room's not open anymore and the effect that has on us. When we talk about that stuff, like Tyron Matthew is the exact guy we're talking about. Because <laughs> there's not a star in that locker room that has made more time for us than Tyron did it when he came here in 2019. He he could have talked at the podium for 10 minutes on a Thursday, and he'd still make five minutes for you on Friday. Here's the other thing about that that's kind of cool, and maybe this is too much inside football, but he was the kind of guy that that you could, and still is if we were in the locker room, but you know, Sam McDowell could be talking to him one-on-one, and Sam Mellinger and I would be maybe waiting to see what comes of the conversation. and. Tyron would be completely engaged with you, Sam McDowell, but also might look at us and say, hey, uh, you need me? I, I'll, I'll be with you in a minute. And then you kind of get them one-on-one, and, or at least in a small group. And that for our audience, um, I do think when you think about it, a lot of the more, if I'm pronouncing the word right, revelatory uh, things you'll hear from people or things you don't hear from people that we get to hear in locker rooms come out of those settings. So. It, it's been part of, obviously, the great challenge of uh, covering this as well as we can during the pandemic. And, you know, the opposite setting that we get, the, these press conferences, by far the theme this week was the drops for the Chiefs. And I, I delved into that a lot this week because it's, you know, I, I think the first time that it, it really affected the Chiefs was way back in week three when the ball goes off Marcus Kemp's hands and, um, a, a ball that Mahomes could probably place a, a slightly better, but a ball that has to be caught by an NFL wide receiver. And here we are, you know, 10 weeks later, still talking about the same topic because it's still a thing. Um, Mahomes has 30 dropped passes this year. Uh, his receivers have dropped 30 of his passes. That's the most in the NFL. Um, six of those drops have been interceptions. That is more than double any other team in the NFL. Um so last, so I wrote about this week, funny enough, Baha, you asked Mahomes a couple questions about it last week. Uh, appreciate the fodder for the story, by the way. Um, <laughs> but you asked him some, a question that I didn't get quite as much into, which is Patrick Mahomes wants to take responsibility because that's what Patrick Mahomes does. But when we go back and look at this, and Baha, we'll start with you, like how much of this actually is on the quarterback? 
I think it's a little bit in that gray area. I do think Patrick is apt to, uh, when it comes to something kind of naked and out in the open, right, to to cover for his guys. And I think in a generic way, he might not not mind saying, you know, well, we I didn't hit some people in the right place and we dropped some. But when it comes to a specific play, he really doesn't like to do that. Um, that being said, it it is interesting. There's more than just a kernel of accuracy and truth in the way he expresses that on some of those passes. I I really thought in real time and even on the replay of the the um, the ball that went off at Tyreek Hill the other day, um, I thought that was totally a catchable pass, and I think it was catchable, but. I saw uh, thanks to uh, Mark Godich uh, sending me something on Twitter and I think a couple other angles, you could see how it was a little high in a way, maybe too high in a way and not quite in stride. And that's, you know, that's, that's part of, part of the deal too. And so Patrick is part of that. And I do think one other component in this, Sam, you didn't ask this, but this is a little bit true. I can say for me anyway, I've always kind of given Patrick a free pass on how hard he throws it, just figuring he knows how hard he has to throw it to get it through, you know, 12, 12 arms and, 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 and shoulders and stuff. But I do think he throws really hard. And I think sometimes that, that can be, is, is a factor in it. I mean, I get that these guys are paid really well to catch the ball and that that's pretty fundamental, but you know, the idea that he could make it easier on some of them, I think, it is true in all this. Sam asked him after the game about um, if he was throwing harder because it was such a windy day uh, on the field, which we actually got more into the wind uh, yesterday with Dave Tove <laughs> than I ever thought we would. Although I, I guess I'm partially to blame. I asked him like three questions about it because I found it sort of fascinating that he said when the wind blows inside Arrowhead Stadium, when you see the flags up top, the, you know, the, the, the American flag and the Super Bowl flags up top, it blows the exact opposite way on the field because it hits, you know, one end of the, uh, the stands and p- bumps back and blows right in your face, um, which is why when Harrison Bucker kicks a 56-yard field goal and you see based on the flags up top that it's directly into the wind, he's actually got the wind behind his back. Um, but just to continue on, on the drops thing, you know, the, the Chiefs have scored – at one point, they, they broke an NFL record by scoring 23 points or more, like 22 straight games. They didn't against the Colts back in 2019. Then they immediately go on another streak of like 25 straight games and break their own record. And they've only reached that 23-point mark once in the past six games. And so I think that's what's difficult for the Chiefs is judging. If we just fix the drops, would we have this? Because there's other elements at play here. And so, Melly, just to throw that at you, like how much confidence do you have that if the Chiefs can catch the football, they can be somewhere near the offense that, that we're accustomed to. I think that's a big part of it. Um, but I don't think it's all of it, and I don't think it's that simple, and I don't even think that it's most of it. Um, the drops have to – they just got to clean it up. Um, and, you know, like everybody's been saying, uh, the throws aren't always perfect, um, but if it hits your hand, you got to catch it. Um, that's, that's just how I feel, but I, I think that more of it is the quarterback. And, and I think it's, it's more than just, you know, that ball to Kelsey was a little bit behind him. The throw to Tyreek was a little high. It's, it's more than that. I think that, um, there's balls that just flat out aren't accurate that don't hit the receiver's hands. Um, 
you know, and there's deep shots that are getting missed. And he's always missed some deep shots. Like, I mean, these are 60 yard throws with, you know, enormous violent men trying to tackle, you know, like nobody's perfect in those situations. Uh, But I think that when the, when you get fewer of those shots, you can't miss as many, you know, and, and you got to hit. And um, so he's got to do that. I believe that there's times that he could run. Um, I know he addressed that a little bit the other day. I know I think there's times that he could run and uh, loosen th- some things up. Um, but it's just what it looks like to me is just a lot of timing stuff that this offense has always been very much based on on rhythm and timing and sight reads and like, you know, sort of the quarterback and the receiver seeing the same thing. And that's that that just hasn't been the case. And I, I don't I don't know how that I don't know how that got broken. Um, so I don't know how to fix that other than just do better, uh, which isn't the best sort of analysis, but it's, it's, it's gone on long enough that I don't, you know, for a long time, I've just sort of been thinking, ah, they'll get it figured out, you know, and then the Raiders game happens, the one in Vegas, and you're like, yep, here it is. But then they go right back to the other stuff. So I, maybe this is a thing that they'll scuffle with the rest of the season and they're going to have to rely on the defense a hell of a lot more than, than any of us would have expected. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, one quick thing, Sam McDowell, just you can testify to this because we walked out together and Sam Mallinger, you were, I think, out a few minutes before us, but I... I did have a different sort of appreciation of what that must have been like playing oh Sunday night when we walked out. Oh that God. wind, if it was the same during the game, I don't even know why oh anybody threw. <laughs> I mean, I remember just opening that glass door outside the tent. It just, <laughs> and like just yeah. <laughs> And I mean, it's easy to forget. I mean, we, you know, we've got the uh, enclosed press box. We see the flags and we, you know, we get some sense of the stuff out there. But I suppose if we'd had an open air press box, we might have been looking at, looking at the game differently. Yeah, our coverage might have been different with an open air press box for sure. I, I do remember as we were making that walk that Bahe turned to me and goes, "Well, it's, it could be worse." I went, "How?" <laughs> Believe me, if it was ten degrees colder, we'd still be would be stuck there in a in an ice pack. The couple sort of really weird things to me about the offense is one, they were the best offense in terms of yards in the NFL last year, and they fixed their biggest problem. Like the offensive line has actually turned into a strength. They're able to run up the middle. Um, their third downs, which we analyzed the hell out of third downs last year because they had to pass on third and one, third and two. Now they're running for them, and we don't talk about it much anymore. 
And the second sort of odd thing to me is that three straight home games, they have marched right down the field with ease on the opening drive and scored touchdowns. And in those three games, they've combined for one touchdown over the remainder of the game. And, I, I, you know, you script plays early in games. Often, though, that's, you know, of course you want to score. But often the, the script is to, to run a variety to specifically see how is the defense playing me today. And usually Andy Reid's really good about gathering that intel and then adjusting. And whatever adjustments they're making are obviously not working. But when he was asked about that, uh, I think it was Matt Derrick after the game, or maybe it was Monday, I thought he seemed, his answer was sort of indicative of, I've been trying to ask myself that too. Why are we scoring on the opening drives and we're not scoring the rest of the game? And that's something that I, you know, they, they have the film for what's working there. But I do think part of the thing is, you know, we've talked about this two, del- two deep shell defense so much. They want to make the Chiefs run 10 plays a score. And so the drop pass is a bigger deal than it was last year. The holding penalty is a bigger deal than it was last year because those 20 or 30 yard shots aren't there anymore to make up for the mistakes. Um, but like Sam said, I mean, there was a pass to Tyree Kill that Patrick Mahomes could have hit last week that, you know, it was a 40 yard completion. Plus you get Tyree Kill in space to run. I mean, that, that play could have turned into a touchdown and we're not seeing them hit on those deep shots as much anymore. Um, but but, but I kind of wanted to ask you the same thing we asked Sam is what's your confidence level that the 2018 to 2020 Chiefs are going to be the offense that we see for the stretch run. I mean, we, we talked this about this after the game, you know, how much Patrick Mahomes had kept saying it's early in the season. It's no longer early in the season. I bet you anything he says it again uh, before the season's over that, it, that it's early. But, you know, I do feel confident in it, but it's, it's, it's sort of a strange uh, confidence. What's the expression about a uh, belief without evidence is a, uh, is faith. Um, you know, I, they, they've they've shown us that this season the, the, the past prologue doesn't really count. I mean, if you didn't know about what they've done in the past, you would think, boy, this is just not going to get fixed. And how are they going to get there? But we do know about what they've done in the past, and we know that they've done it with basically three premier skill players. I mean, that are at the top of their game, and now they've got, as you noted, Sam, uh, an offensive line that they can count on. I think um, they're able to do more things. Um, with that. And, and that's what makes me feel like there's, there's still something that we don't quite get about why it's clogged up, but that, that, that they'll get it and they'll figure it out. Um, that is, that does sound a little like blind faith and, and maybe, maybe I just have it wrong, but I, I just think that some of these things, I feel like this about the defense, the defense looked just so bad for so long. And you kept hearing people kind of insist, well, it's, it's, one little thing here, one little thing there, and another this. Actually, I've kind of come to believe that's true by getting Melvin Ingram, who you wrote about for today, Sam, and that helped reset the line and get Chris Jones back inside. And by putting Juan Thornhill in for Daniel Sorensen, it made Daniel Sorensen the role player who's going to have a 75-yard interception return. Um, and, and one little thing at a time kind of stacked up. And I feel like they have all the elements offensively for those things to sort of reset and get stacked back up. But Sam Mellinger is a, bit, a, a real cynic, so he might say something different. Well, I'm, I'm waiting on uh, Sam to write uh, the I was wrong. Dan Sorensen should be the, <laughs> the starter. Yeah, keep waiting. Keep waiting, buddy. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, the Dan Sorensen thing is a whole different deal. I just, I, I, I just keep going back to the idea that as much as what we're seeing, um, there's an old line. As long as we're quoting Royals people here, by um, there's a guy named Bill Fisher who uh, was a coach and a scout for a million years, and um, and he used to say, "Believe what you see and not what you think," <laughs> and I, I keep thinking that the Chiefs' offense is going to score forty, and I keep seeing that they're scoring, <laughs> you know, 19 or whatever. And, you know, it, it's just a wild thing. I mean, this is exactly what the NFL wants. You know, this is how the NFL built an empire. It's with um, nobody really knowing, including the players and coaches, what's going to happen. I mean, I, I just, I don't think that anybody would have the right to be even surprised, not shocked, but surprised if the Chiefs keep scoring between 13 and 23 points every week. I also don't think anybody should have the right to be surprised if starting Sunday, uh, they start just bombing away and it's 30 to 35 points every week. Like we've seen both of those things enough that it shouldn't be a surprise. And it's just, it's a crazy thing that they've played this many games. We're into December and we still don't really know what this team is. Football is just, it's, I mean, this is why everybody loves it, right? This is why we love, we love the sport is you just, you just don't know. Just to flip this on the host and ask him a question, um, Sam alluded to this in a way, but we're getting ready to see the Chiefs play the Raiders. Why did the Raiders seem to go to an entirely different format than what everybody else has been doing against the Chiefs? And will that uh, will that continue on Sunday? Yeah, you know, Gus Bradley's defense is something that had given Patrick Mahomes trouble in the past when he was with the Chargers. And so I think he probably put faith in the evidence that he had more than the evidence that the rest of the league was providing him this season. Um, Patrick Mahomes sort of clarified that a little bit, though, and said they might have started with a single high safety look, which is not what the Chiefs have seen all year, but they reverted back to cover two a lot. And another defense called Palms defense where, you, you know, it's something I tried to explain a little bit last week. It's a version of this robber defense that the Chiefs are seeing a lot of that's on third downs in particular, where it's man-to-man defense. You bring a safety down late and he cuts off one of your key routes. And a lot of times with the Chiefs, that's been a Travis Kelsey route on third down. And it's intended to fool the quarterback because you think he's going to be in, in a cover two defense and in a zone back deep. And instead, he's cutting off one of your intermediate routes. And it's particularly tr- tricky for a quarterback that sees so much of cover two. You know, he's less entitled to expect that sort of defense. And so I think that's what the Raiders were going for. Obviously it didn't work. Mahomes threw five touchdowns. Um, I kind of think the Raiders going to play something similar this week, Uh, but that will be interesting. Um, I'm also, you know, a little curious about, you know, what, what the chiefs play, you know, the, the chiefs were so successful last time against Derek Carr by pressuring the hell out of him, And he's not, there's few quarterbacks that have as stark a difference in production when they're pressured versus when they have all day to throw is Derek Carr. We saw him come into Arrowhead last year and tear the Chiefs up because they couldn't get they didn't sack him once. Or I think that I think they got credit for a sack when he slid for a zero for a no game. So um but I kind of want to touch on something Sam said, which is, you know, that this is what the NFL wanted. The AFC has to be what the NFL wanted right now when you look at those records. Our our own Pete Gradoff really broke down the Chiefs chances at the number one seed. And it seems like they have this really difficult path to the number one seed, but they're half a game out. Like they're tied in the loss column 
with the best team in the AFC, which is the Patriots are nine and four. Um, the Patriots got a really bizarre win on Monday night where they only threw three passes. Talk about wind. I, I guess, Fahe, you were right when you said it could be worse. If we were in Buffalo, the wind would have been worse. No kidding. What was interesting about Pete's article is there's four models that predict the number one seed. And the highest of the four had the Chiefs at 14% chance of getting the number one seed. The, the team that's been there the past couple of years, the team that is tied in the loss column, it's one five in a row. And they've got them at a 14% chance. Now, part of that is, as Pete outlined, is because they've lost the tiebreakers head-to-head with some key teams, particularly the Titans and the Ravens, who are going to be in that mix as well, probably going to win their division. But what do you guys think about their chances, you know, knowing their schedule to get the number one seed? Well, without, you know, knowing and off the top of my head all the other matchups that are going to affect this, it is interesting, like, if the Chiefs just take care of their own business, it, it lays out pretty well for them, I think. And some of these other teams are going to go up against each other. So, I mean, I think there's, if you, if you get even deeper into the math, I, I would think that's a favorable model for the Chiefs. One other just quick aside that I'm reminded of, though, kind of all of a sudden, I'm old enough to remember last season when they were winning, you know, six or seven straight games by under six points. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the vibe was a little similar. Like, well, this is going to come back to haunt them, that they're going to, they're, they can't keep winning like this. And I kind of have come to feel like, well, they're going to keep winning like this. Where that goes in the playoffs is another matter. But I I don't know. I'll be surprised if they don't win um, the vast majority of their last part of the schedule. What do you think, Sam? You think they got a shot at the number one seed still? The tiebreakers are what kind of concerns me about that. You know, um, they just don't have. <laughs> That's what happens when you stink in the beginning of the season. They just don't have a lot of tiebreakers. So, um, but. I don't necessarily, I think they're the best team in the AFC. Um, I do believe that. Um, but I just don't know that they can get, that they can leapfrog enough enough teams. Um, the Patriots are the team that, that kind of looks like they're rolling right now. Um, that defense is, is, is tough. And um, I would still take the quarterback. I just think, you know, you take talent over coaching, but I think Bill Belichick is, you know, kind of the biggest, one of the biggest advantages in the NFL. So I think they've got something of a chance, but, um, you know, a puncher's chance, as they say, as long as we, we keep doing these cross sport cliches, but, um, you know, maybe a puncher's chance, but I certainly wouldn't bet on it. But I do think um, if the season ended today and the Chiefs were, I don't know what they would be. Is it the three, three or four, somewhere in there? Um, I would pick them <laughs> despite all the problems that we've been talking about. You know, uh, I still think they're the, they're the best team in the AFC right now. Before you win the, you know, you get the number one seed, which the reason the one seed's a big deal, of course, is there's seven teams that make it. Only one team gets gets that first round by. Home field advantage isn't what it was statistically in the NFL, but the first round by, of course, is gigantic. Um, but before you, you, you know, you talk about the one seed, you've got to win the division first, of course. And, and the Chargers are only a game out. And we've, we've, we've talked about tiebreakers. Well, the Chargers obviously have the tiebreaker as of now over the Chiefs because they beat them in week three. And the Chiefs are going to go there. I think it's their most difficult game left on the schedule, not just because I think the Chargers are a tough matchup for them, um, but because they've got to travel across two time zones on a Thursday night game next week. Um, but, you know, by you wrote about the Chiefs dominance uh, specifically Andy Reid's dominance of the AFC West obviously they've got three in a row here they beat the Broncos last week we've got the Raiders coming to town and then we've got the Chargers next week um 
which let's talk a little bit about the Raiders. I mean, Derek Carr is three and 12 against the chiefs in his career. He did get the win at Arrowhead last year, but Derek Carr was rolling until the chiefs beat him in, in Las Vegas. I mean, the Raiders had the fifth best offense in the NFL and they've really struggled with the exception of a Thanksgiving day game against the Cowboys since the chiefs played them. Is there any reason to believe, um, and let's, actually throw out a prediction here, but is there any reason to believe that Derek Carr's history against the Chiefs will, will change this weekend? I don't think so. I mean, he's capable of, as you noted earlier, of, of burst of uh, big moments if, he, if he's unpressured. I think the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs will keep him pressured. And I also think, it, yeah, we know he had a big game last year against them, but I, I think the Chiefs are a little bit in his head. Um, and, and I think, I'll be astonished if the Chiefs don't win. And I, if, we're, if we're getting predictions in there, I'm going to, Go ahead and uh, picture them uh, breaking 30 and getting to about 31 to 17, something like that. The quarterback's part of it, but I just think there's a real chance that the Raiders are just a big old mess internally right now. I mean, they've, uh, they've obviously been through a lot this season. They've, they've got talent, um, and they are capable of kind of these brilliant moments. Uh, but I just, you know, you just put yourself in their shoes, you know, can you imagine like sort of being part of that team and, and everything that they've gone through? And, and they had, like you guys said, like this really promising start. And uh, but when you have all that drama and everything else, it's um, I don't know, I, I can see a situation where just internally you don't want to and you and you'll deny it if asked. But in it, just internally, like, ugh, like, it's just not going our way. And then and then it snowballs. Yeah, pretty bad. I've seen Chiefs teams do that. Um, you know, in, in the past, and we've seen, you know, teams in all sports do that in the past. And I think that may be where the Raiders are at. Yeah. Yeah. You got a score, Melly? I, you know, I just literally minutes ago said I was done doing this, but I'm going to say that this is the week that the Chiefs <laughs> scored a lot of points. Well, I said, what'd you say? 31 17? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not like minded with Bahe. I will say 32 <laughs> I think you guys are in the right ballpark. I think it's about a 30 to 13 game on Sunday, but um, we're going to wrap that up here. I appreciate everybody joining us, everybody watching. Uh, thanks for our two columnists. No thanks to Herbie for taking the day off. Um, and we will be back after Sunday's game. Finally, the noon games will be with you at a, uh, at a reasonable hour on Sunday. Please join us then as well. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.